0: Gather, we recognize that sometimes we let things get in the way of us encountering you. It's you that we, we begin by quieting our hearts. We begin by quieting our minds. We begin by tuning into our spirits. It's you, that we, we purposefully set aside all of the distractions, all of the things vying for our attention, all of the clutter. We confess that we ask people to tell us who we are. We ask things to tell us who we are. We ask possessions to tell us who we are. We ask relationships to tell us who we are. Today we recognize we need to hear your voice. We want so badly to be seen, to be validated, to be valued, to be loved, to be significant. God, see us, validate us, value us, love us. God, we are intentionally removing the extraneous. We're removing all the things that can get in the way. With great anticipation, we trust that as we do this, what will be left is our hearts and you. Uh, as we continue this morning, we're gonna, um, I'm going to invite you to sing in just a moment. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to uh, a, a church gathering or a spiritual gathering, uh, a religious gathering, and they do some pretty weird things. Singing is one of them. If you're not a part of a church background at all, if you were just kind of a fly on the wall and you walked into this, it would seem really weird. Uh, we're all gathered Uh, oftentimes facing the same direction, right, towards a stage or something. And there's somebody up here and a group of people are singing to something or someone who is obviously not in the room, which is really weird, if you're honest about it. Uh, uh, Communion is a weird thing. Baptism is a weird thing. But we do these things over and over, week after week after week, oftentimes without explanation or without exploration. And so I want to just preface uh, our time of singing uh, with trying to address why do we even sing? Like, what's the point? Uh, Why does a group of people gather together and sing? Of all the things you could do, why is this something that we find churches do over and over and over again, week after week after week? So I did a little research this week on singing, um, and I found uh, some very interesting um, physiological and spiritual uh, ideas about singing. Did you know that when you sing, uh, people that sing, I should say, are, uh, they have a lower heart rate more often, uh, they are less likely to be depressed, they're less likely to feel anxious. Um, o- oftentimes when old people sing, uh, folks that are you know, up there in their 80s, 90s, uh, they, do, they gather them at, at some of the homes that they're in and they sing because they found that when older people sing, they take less medicine, they're less depressed, uh, their health is actually better. Um, when we sing, uh, it makes us breathe deeper and, uh, studies show that human beings actually only access 10% of the energy that we could access when we breathe. So breathing is supposed to, for the human, be something that accesses all kinds of energy and studies would show that we only access 10% of what we could access when we breathe because we breathe so shallow, right? It's so fast, um, when we sing, it forces us to breathe deeper. And actually, uh, when we sing or when we do music, when we participate in music, it, uh, it activates both sides of your brain. So you know you have two brain uh, hemispheres, left and right. When you speak, only one side of your brain is activated. But when you sing or when you participate in music, both sides of your brain are activated. And, and scientists call this full brain activity. And it actually releases chemicals in your brain that your body just loves. Has anybody seen uh, Legally Blonde? You remember that movie with Reese, with Reese Witherspoon? She's a lawyer, and she's doing this thing, and she's like, she gets to this whole thing. She's talking about exercise, and she gets to this, the end of it. She's like, happy people don't kill their husbands because people that exercise are happy, and happy people don't kill their husbands. That was her legal defense for this, this lady who didn't kill her husband. But the idea was that when you exercise, it releases endorphins in your body, and it makes you happy, and then therefore happy people don't kill their husbands. When we sing and when we, when we do both sides of the brain, it releases chemicals in our brain that actually our bodies love and that our brains love. Um, so there's all kinds of physiological and scientific reasons why this is a good activity for us to be doing. Now, moving beyond that, uh, have you ever been in a cathedral before in, a, in Europe, or anybody been in St. Paul's Cathedral? Right. These are buildings... They're architectural deals that people have built, not because um, they're all that functional, because they're not. They're actually uh, a waste of space when you think about it from from a uh, a totally pragmatic perspective. But that completely misses the point with a cathedral. Cathedrals were built by people because they were hoping that by using space in this way, it would help people access something that was beyond them. So that has this almost transcendent feel when you walk in a cathedral, right? When you go in a cathedral, you, your spirit is almost lifted up. And you look at this beautiful, unbelievable architectural feat. And they were hoping that through architecture, they would be able to help people who were trying to connect with this transcendent God to actually use the building to help that. When we sing, what we want to do is take sound music and words and create cathedrals that allow us to access something that we don't normally or have a harder time accessing with just words. When you and I speak, it's a transactional thing, right? It's a, it's a black and white kind of a deal. It's very um, like this. But when we take words and language and then we use them in poetry and in music, what we're trying to do is take language, everyday normal words... And do something bigger help people help us access something that's beyond us Which we would call god So we are hoping that as we as you hear the music and as you hear the words that are used Some of the most beautiful words that have ever been penned are in hymns, right? It's this poetic kind of language and we're hoping that we're building these cathedrals of sound and words that help us access And, and relate to this god that we're talking about um, Just one other thought or idea. When we sing, there's something that happens uh, in in the actual scientific nature of the sounds that you're making. That when you speak on an everyday normal level, you don't have to really give yourself to it. You don't have to like... uh, it's it's as if you step over this threshold when you sing, whereas if you if we just talk to one another, there's this kind of reserved nature, and we don't have to really fully give ourselves to this thing that we're doing, this speech act. But when we ask you to sing, there's actually this vulnerable place, this risk that we're asking you to take, because uh, how many of you have you you're, you you find it hard to sing? Anybody? Like, it's hard for you to just give yourself to that. And that's exactly where we want us to be. Because to do community, to do relationship, to do church, as as the Bible talks about it, there is a degree of vulnerability and risk that we're asking you to take. Because you could come here and you could leave every week and not meet anybody, not really go any deeper than, hey, how are you? Glad you're here. Thanks for coming. But that's not what this is about. If that's all that happens here, close up the shop because this is not worth it for me. And I don't think it's worth it for a lot of us. But what we're hoping for is this something deeper than that. And as we sing, the actual act of singing is helping prepare us for that. It's moving you in that direction. It's asking you to give of yourself in a way that you don't normally give of yourself when you just speak. And asking you to risk a little bit. Uh, When we gather... We're doing something here together that you cannot do alone. And when you all come in here and we, when we gather and we all sing something together, it forces you to listen to the person next to you. It forces you to set aside what you might want or your personal preferences or your desires and do something with a group of people. So there's this almost denial of self in a really healthy way for the betterment of the, of the community. And to be a a follower of Jesus, to live in this world, you're going to have to learn how to do that. We're going to have to learn how to do that. And so, why do we sing? Those are a couple of reasons, but I would land on that last one. That we're doing something together that we cannot do alone. And we're asking you to participate and to join with us. What happens when we miss what is at the center of worship? Or to say it differently, what is at the core of worship and how is it that we get to the place where we miss that? Where we either go to the left, to the right, what are the essentials for worship and how do we get to the place where we miss that or where we uh, misappropriate it? Or uh, uh, completely forget it? That's the question I want to f- kind of frame our time to- together. Uh, and, and so far in this series, uh, we're in week three again, and we have covered the, the first week we talked about this idea that worship is not something that you go to, it's not something, it's not an event that you participate in, it's not some external thing that you critique or you have feelings about, but it's actually a, a, a disposition of the heart. It's not about anything out here, but it's about what is here and how you see the world, how you see God, how you interact with really everything. And so the the graphic is these two brackets. And what we wanted to say at the beginning was just to lay a foundation is that worship is anything that happens between breath number one and your last breath. Worship is everything that happens in our lives, uh, from our jobs to our relationships to the way we vote to the way we drink coffee to the way we treat people to the way that we drive our cars. Everything that we do comes out of what we worship. And the question isn't will you worship, but what will you worship? Because all of humanity worships something. And we wanted to press into the question of what is it that you worship? Uh, is it possessions? Is it money? Is it what are the things that give you significance and that you ask to, to give you life or gi- give you meaning or significance? Uh, week two last week we talked about uh, we looked at this idea of uh, Jacob in the story of Jacob in Genesis. And uh, if if worship is an issue or overflow of the heart, then. We, we sort of dove into the deep end of the pool last week and we looked at some real heart issues that play into how humans worship. And we looked at a couple of, of key, key spots in Jacob's life, one where he wrestles with God and the importance of knowing your name. Who are you and what is your name? Until we have wrestled with God, until we have come face to face with God, the one who made us, I would submit to you that we can't know who we are. And until we know who we are, we will continue to ask things to define us. We'll ask things or possessions, money, whatever it is, to say our name, to give us definition, to give us meaning and significance. And until we know who we are, we will worship things that we were never intended to worship. Uh, We talked about the idea that uh, humanity from the beginning has been asking this question of, do you see me? Not like, you know... uh, is that Ben? Yes, it is, but do we see ben uh, if you 've ever been in a situation where you were right in front of somebody and it 's as if they didn 't even see you right they they didn 't they didn 't validate your presence or your significance or your meaning or your worth, and they didn 't see you. Humans have been asking this question from the beginning because we were born we were made to be seen, and when God shows up in the form of Jesus. It's God saying, I see you. And we ask all kinds of things in our lives to see us, right? Uh, but until we recognize and, and, and figure out the fact that in Jesus, God says, I see you, uh, we've got issues and we will continue to ask things to see us and they won't. Uh, we talked about worship as this idea of waking up when J- Jacob has the dream and the, the ladder and the angels come up and down. And then Jacob wakes up and he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. How often have we gone through life thinking that worship is when we show up at church? And, and actually, if we look at what the Bible teaches, worship is everything that we do. And God is, in, is present in all of our life. And whether or not we're awake to that is the question we wanted to wrestle with. So today, I want to take this a step further. And I want to ask, how do we get to the place where we miss what's at the heart of worship? What's at the center? What's at the core? And I would start by saying this. Um, when we mistake the means for the end, when we mistake the means for the end, we are in serious danger of missing what's at the center of what it means to worship. I'm going to need some help here. So, uh, we're going to look at a couple of scripture passages and I'm going to need some people to read them. So can I get somebody to read Amos 5, 21 to 24? Just raise your hand if you'll read that for me. Amos 5, 21 to 24. Bueller, Bueller, anyone Bueller. Thank you. Amos 5, 21 to 24. I need somebody to read Isaiah 1, 11 to 17. Isaiah 1. Thanks, Lane. Appreciate it. 11 to 17. Somebody to read my favorite, Micah 6, uh, 6 through 8. Micah 6, 6 through 8. Somebody. Thank you. Appreciate it. And then uh, Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24. Somebody else want to grab that one? Thanks. Appreciate it. So you guys find those. Everybody got your, you, you know your references? You already forgot yours. You were Amos five twenty-one to twenty-four. Okay. Anybody else need a repeat? All right, um, Phil, you're up first. Have, oh, man, Amos is a tricky one. It's uh, later in the Old Testament, towards the end. Uh, and I'm Amos 1. Give me about no problem. Amos five twenty-one to twenty-four. Okay. All right. So this is, uh, I, and I want I want us to listen to these verses. And in light of this idea of when we, when we mistake the means for the end, we have problems, all right? So Phil, go for it. All right. 21, right? 21 to 24. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and great offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for years in the desert, O host of Israel? Okay, thanks, Phil. Lane, did you have Isaiah? Yep. All right, Isaiah 1, 11 to 17. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Leave the widow's house. Um, Micah 6, 6 through 8. Matthew 23, 23 and 24. Nope, chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. (laughs) Settle in, gang, this is going to take a while. (laughs) Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have an Or you should have the latter without neglecting the former strain out a nap but swallow a camel. four different passages, three from the old, one from the New Testament. If you are unfamiliar with the bible you 're going to think that this is totally psycho crazy because they 're talking about the sacrificing of animals and the killing of bulls and all of these types of things. So let me just break down what 's going on here. In each of these verses, you have a, a God figure, one in the Old Testament, Yahweh, uh, in the New Testament Jesus speaking on behalf of or in, in tune with. We could slice that one up and call me a heretic. But it's Jesus, one of the Trinity you know, one person of the Trinity, saying to the people of God. You do these things that I've asked you to do. You sacrifice uh, 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 animals uh, and you, you, you bring all these things to the temple and you go through these rituals and these prayers and you sing these songs and you play these instruments and all of these things. And quite frankly, I've had it up to here. Your par- have your parents ever said that to you? I have had it up to here. I've said, I said that to one of my kids the other day. I'm like, right here. I had it like right here. And, and we're in trouble here because if it goes here... You know what happens? God says, "I have had it up to here with all of your religious crap. It makes me sick. In fact, you can keep it." And Jesus says, "You you 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 Pharisees, you teachers of the law, you religious people, you bring all of these things, these things of worth, right? These spices and things they were they were worth it. Uh, things that were worth a lot in their day and age. And so you bring these things to the temple and you give them, but you have forgotten the more important matters of justice and mercy and so on and so forth. So God is basically saying, you do all of these things. You set up your sound systems. You you run your microphones. You bring your guitars. You you do all this stuff. You make beautiful presentations on screens. You make everything so wonderful. And quite frankly, I am sick and tired of it. It makes me want to vomit. Why? Why? Because you have mistaken the means for the end. Friends, when we say worship equals fill in the blank. Worship equals... Bringing something to the temple worship equals doing what God asks me to do out of obedience and law abiding when we do uh, When we say worship equals singing our songs or when we say worship equals giving our money to the church Or when we say worship equals serving or giving my time or my talents when we say worship equals any of those things We have mistaken the means for the end all of these things set them out on a table Okay, giving, communion, baptism, uh, worship music, guitars, songs in their time, sacrificing animals. You set them out on a table. These are all neutral items. They are not significant in and of themselves, nor do they equal worship. Worship is something that is far deeper than that. These are only a translational piece in that they translate In physical time and space, what is on the inside of our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits? Are you following me? So when we say these things equal worship, we mistake the means. These things are a means to an end. The end is the exposure of your heart. And what is it that you allow to sit on the throne of your heart? What is it that you allow to speak into your life and define you and give you meaning and significance? These are the things that we worship. But when these things become the end, woe to you, blind churchgoers. Woe to you, Pharisees, you hypocrites. Because these things are not what worship is worship is something that's far deeper and these these translate these these make they shed light it's like language it's like words words help us understand concepts or things they're not the things in and of themselves you follow so when we translate or when we say worship equals this we're in danger of missing what is at the heart what is at the center of what worship really is which is why One of the reasons why we decided today to strip away all of these other things that can and oftentimes do get in the way of a group of people worshiping God. I would say, did anybody notice in every single one of those verses, there was this indictment, right? I mean, there was some strong language given to the, to the people of God. Like you blind Pharisees, you hypocrites. Uh, I'm tired of you music. I'm done with it. Does anybody notice in every occasion what the last part was? What's the corrective from God? Did anybody catch it? Do something, right? It was do justice, love, mercy, act. Every single time. When a group of people, God's people, miss what is at the heart of worship, the corrective for them is action, which puts us Protestants in a pretty sticky wicket. Because it's by grace, it's faith, it's, 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 it's by grace alone that you're saved. You don't have to do anything. You can't do anything. You just have to receive it. You'll call it down. Bless the Lord. <laughs> when we disconnect worship, from action we run a very serious risk of missing what is at the heart of what it means to be a person who worships when we disconnect worship from action doing something with our hands and our feet and our in our lives we are in serious trouble uh Humans like to compartmentalize things, and especially men. If you're married or you have a boyfriend, uh, girls, you probably have seen this before. Men have this uncanny ability to just put things in boxes, right? It's like, this is my work box, and this is my kids box and this is my wife box and this is my fishing box and this is my whatever box and i pull these things out and it's like laser focus i'm here i'm present in this box but heavens to betsy please don't ask me to do both to open two boxes at once right i gotta shut this one before i open the next one okay and you girls you just pull them all out you just dump it all on the table you're like come on bring it out let's just do it all at the same time which makes like the, the wires in our heads just fried. <laughs> Smoke is coming out of our heads. But we compartmentalize things. And I think we do this as a culture. Uh, generally speaking, men, it's this specific thing. But generally speaking, we like to compartmentalize things. Now, you connect this with what, what happened in the Protestant Reformation. Does anybody remember this? You had the, the, the one holy Catholic Church, and things were going downhill. little history lesson. Things were going downhill. They were starting to sell indulgences and a number of other different things. And it was almost this transactional deal, like if I do this, then God does this. And if I have, you know, everything in line at the, at the front office, then I'm okay with God. Martin Luther gets all wrapped up and, and bent out of shape about this, tacks the 95 Theses on there, and starts the trajectory of the church in a different, two different directions. And you get two Latin phrases from the Protestant Reformation. Does anyone remember what they are? Sola Scriptura and Sola Fide, or however you say it in Latin, right? Scripture alone and faith alone. And what faith alone is arguing against or pushing up against or swinging the other way from is this idea of a works kind of theology or a works understanding of God. I can do these things and then I'm okay with God. So the Protestant Reformation swings all the way over here that it's only by faith. It's by faith alone, faith alone by grace, lest any man should boast. Is it Ephesians something? Is that what that text is? It becomes like the poster child for this movement. And anybody... And then you have the 40s and 50s of this whole liberal movement coming out of Europe, and you have a bunch of Christians who say, do, like uh, the chicken, uh, chicken little guy, the sky is falling. If anybody starts saying anything about social justice, it's liberalism, and we, and we discard it. We don't, we don't do that because it's by faith alone. It's by faith alone. It's by faith alone. And you have this bifurcation. You have this separation of faith and works. Or, or, you know, what we believe and then what we do. Which is terribly, terribly tragic and unbiblical. Uh, I heard a quote where uh, a a group of conservatives actually said, We'll let the liberals feed their stomachs and we'll feed their souls. Which is just anecdotal to this whole idea that I'm talking about. The liberals, the social gospel people, they can feed their souls, the the hungry folks. But what's really important and what the real Christians should pay attention to is, how do we feed their souls? How do we get them saved? How do we get them into heaven? Whole nother message for a whole nother day. What I want to say today is when we disconnect worship from action, we have a serious problem. Every time in the scriptures we find a group of people, God's people that miss it, God says, Do justice. It's almost as if God encourages the people of God to act out with their hands what already should be in their heart. When you miss it, when you have taken something and you've exchanged the means for the end, here's what I want you to do to to, to remedy that. I want you to do something. I I want you to feed the poor. I want you to uh, feed the hungry, uh, clothe the naked, uh, all of these things that you hear Jesus talking about and God telling these people, uh, let justice, that's God's righteousness, it's like this idea of God, things being in order the way they should be. When we take worship and we divorce it from action, in the world, we have a serious problem and we begin to, I think we miss a, a huge part of what it means to worship. I want to just draw your attention to this little board over here. Uh, We were talking this last week, Courtney leads our kids community. And uh, Courtney is a mom of three um, wonderful children. uh, And she is a volunteer. She's leading our our kids ministry and she's doing a fantastic job of it. Uh, There are many needs that we have next door. A number of them are posted on that board over there. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to challenge you to ask yourself the question, how connected is my worship of God to what I do, to my action in the world, to my, my serving and my giving of myself away? And if there is no representation of you giving yourself away in the world and you say you follow Jesus, hello, Joe, got a problem. So I want to offer just some easy, simple ways, some on-ramps to connect worship to you giving yourself away. We follow Jesus, right? He died on a cross for the sins of the world. He gives himself away. He says, follow me. If we're not doing this, we're not following Jesus. So Christian, if you're here today... Can I just challenge you to ask the question? I'm I'm not going to get in your space. I'm not going to ask you to report back. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I want you to seriously think about in your own life how connected is worship, what you say you believe about God, to what you're doing in the world for justice and for mercy and for righteousness and for compassion. These are very, very simple and I want to continue to, we're going to continue to highlight this to say, people that follow Jesus, if they see a need and they can meet it, they do. If you see a need and you can meet it, then do it. Simple. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. But when we, when we disconnect the two, we've got problems. So I want to encourage you to check that out before you go today. Last, I would say this. How do we get to the place where we miss the heart of worship? We exchange the means for the end. We disconnect worship from action, and something very, very central and at the heart of of our culture is pride and this aversion to repentance. Uh, We live in a culture that most people would call postmodernism, and so there's this whole idea of everything's relative. Truth is relative. If it's true for you, that's cool, but it might not be true for you, and that's cool, and so on and so forth down the line. Which leads to this place where I don't have the right to say to my friend Bruce, Bruce, I think you're wrong because hey who am i to say bruce is wrong you know i mean if it's right for bruce it's right for bruce if it's right for me it's right for me i mean i'm an individual and i can make my own decisions i, I we saw uh, last week we got some tickets from some friends of ours to the musical hair um pretty pretty awesome <laughs> pretty interesting show uh There's one part in in the musical where they're singing and they're talking, and and one of the actors says this, essentially. Love means do whatever you want as long as nobody else gets hurt. Love means do do whatever you want as long as nobody else gets hurt. And this lady sitting right in front of us, this is the only thing she said. This is the only thing she reacted to the whole time we were there. The, the actress on the, uh, up on stage says, love means do whatever you want as long as nobody gets hurt. And she goes, yes! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Awkward moment for in a social setting, but here's what I really want to focus on. The lady says, love means do whatever you want as long as nobody else gets hurt. And she says, yes, I agree with that. That's true. This is the culture we live in. Do whatever you want, because truth is relative for you and you and you, and whatever you think is true is, is, and is right for you is true. The problem with this is that it's logically impossible. If there is such a thing as truth... Everybody can't be right. So either you have to totally do away with truth. There there is nothing that's true. There is nothing. There is no norm. There is no ought for humanity. And it's a free-for-all. Or there is an ought. There is something that's true. Capital T. Now, we can debate and have conversation about how we access that and how we perceive that and how our culture and our, our story and our, our, uh, the, the, inf- the influences and significant moments in our life play into how we see that truth. But I want to say to you this morning that we're a group of people who believe that there is something that's true. There is a God who says, you ought to live this way as humans. And if that's true, then there are times and places and ways that we get that wrong. The Bible talks about it as sin. And if there are times and places when we get it wrong, then there is this word that I'd like to introduce to you or reacquaint you with called repentance which is really, really, you know, churchy and theological and probably conjures up all kinds of nasty emotions for people. But if you read the Bible and you want to be honest with it, you can't run from it. To repent is to be going in this direction and to turn around and go the other direction. To recognize that this direction or whatever it is that's out there is not the way I ought to go and I'm turning around and I'm going in a different direction. And I want to challenge us this morning. That there are ways in which we as individuals miss what's at the center of what it means to worship. There are ways that we as a community miss what it means to worship. And we need to repent. We need to recognize that and say, I'm sorry. Uh, forgive me. Uh, I want to go in a different direction. And this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. To recognize that there are ways that we miss it sometimes. And to say, God, forgive me. And to say to our friends sometimes, forgive me. I'm sorry, I was wrong. And this is not a popular message. Not popular at all. It's a risk, I guess, we're willing to take. So I want to close this morning. I wanna, we're going to end, and we've been doing this throughout this series. Giving, giving us some time uh, for silence. There are so many different ways we worship, right? If worship is a response of our heart, we can worship in, in doing anything and everything. So we're going to just uh, clear some space here as we close. And I'm going to um, kind of set this up to give you an opportunity to just be quiet, to just sit in silence, and maybe to ask a couple of questions related to some of the things we've talked about. Um, how connected is, is worship to what you do to your service and your your living out justice and mercy and compassion in the world. And if they're not there may be some time for you to say God I need to repent I need, I need to say I'm sorry I need to I I need you to help me bring those two together. There may be ways that you as an individual or that we as a community have missed have mistaken the means for the end and we need to say God uh, I'm sorry, forgive me, forgive us. And so I'm just going to give us a few moments of silence. It's going to feel awkward, uh, but that's okay. So do whatever you need to do to find some space. Uh, If the prayer space is open up here, if you want to spread out, feel free to do that. Uh, I'm I'm going to pray to kind of introduce us into this time, and then it's just going to be totally silent. Uh, And I want you to just, If you can, I want to invite you to press into that. I want to invite you to to lean into it and maybe just, even physically with your your body, say, God, I'm open to what you would say. Hold your hands open and imagine yourself there. God, say what you would want to say. Show me what I need to see. Uh, So let me pray. Uh, We'll have a time of silence, and then I want to read just a passage from the Psalms as we close. God, there are so many different ways that we... Uh, mistake the means for the end, where we miss uh, what is at the heart of worship, what's at the core. Um, God, so often we divorce uh, our worship and our church experience from how we act in the world and what we ought to be doing. Would you, in this, these moments of silence, um, speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you be present? Teach us what it means to follow you. And uh, do whatever you need to do, God. We would pray.